Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news as well as insight and analysis into the game we all love. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is our guru Duncan Castles. I'm delighted to say that returning to the transfer window today, an old friend and certainly a very popular guest amongst you, our listeners, Football agent Bernie Mandich. How are you, Bernie? Well, guys, how how's it all going back there? Yeah, yeah, things uh, things are much just the same the uh, the world over. I think uh, time has stood still, uh, but doesn't mean to say that we will stand still on the podcast today. We'll be motoring through the news and the subjects. We're going to start off today with the interview given by Harry Kane uh, on Monday of this week when he more or less for the first time admitted that he may not always be a Tottenham Hotspur player. Now, for someone who just a few months ago uh, would have been harder to get out of the Tottenham Stadium than that would be getting gold out of Fort Knox, this is quite an admission. Um, It comes at a time, obviously, when football globally is under this cloud of uncertainty um, with uh, all of the major leagues currently suspended. Interesting that Kane has taken this opportunity to make a statement about his own potential future, having avowed himself to being, in the words of the Tottenham fans, one of their own. My uh, reading of the situation and indeed information from those close to the player is that he is slightly concerned that he is falling behind with regard to a possible move to his preferred destination, and that, of course, is La Liga. His preferred club is Real Madrid. There's been a lot, a lot of conversations, a lot of uh, chat in the Spanish press about Madrid targeting Erling Haaland, uh, whose start at Borussia Dortmund has been nothing short of outstanding. And even Arsenal's captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, turned, who is 30, not getting any younger, but, of course, the current number nine at Madrid, Karim Benzema, in the twilight of his career, many people expect him to move, if certainly not drop down the pecking order for next season. Duncan, if I can come to you first, um, can you understand where Kane's coming from? He obviously couched it very, very uh, subtly, saying, I'll need to win trophies. Uh, I'm not saying I'll definitely go, but... Um, I've got to consider the fact if Spurs continue uh, in the way they are at the moment, that the possibility is I'm not going to fulfil my career the way I'd like to. Um, if with players such as Haaland and Aubameyang being mentioned for Madrid, can you see Kane getting slightly concerned after we did report it on the podcast at the beginning of March, didn't we? Yeah, we flagged this up on the podcast, um, as you say, at the beginning of March, that this time Kane and his closest advisor, which is his brother, um, are serious about um, 
deciding if, if this is the time to move and a, a calculation that with his age, um, a decision has to be made whether he continues at Tottenham indefinitely um, or whether he takes the opportunity while he still has um, that status around him in the game to move to one of the big clubs, whether they're prepared to put the money down to, to do that deal. And I think, it, I mean, his words are pretty strong. I'll always love Spurs, but I've always said, if I don't feel we're progressing as a team or going in the right direction, I'm not someone to stay there for the sake of it. I'm an ambitious player. I want to improve, get better, and become one of the top, top players. Um, so it fits entirely with what uh, what we reported on the podcast at the at the beginning of March, and and as we said, it's a it's a very significant problem for Daniel Levy to have to deal with in the sense that um, this is Kane and his people saying not only do we want a bigger contract, but we want to know that uh, if we stay at Tottenham, we have the opportunity to win titles. We have the opportunity to. Um, get a Premier League title and have the chance to be competing at the top level in the Champions League again. Bernie, if you were advising Kane at this moment in his career and you've been uh, behind a couple of seismic transfers that certainly people were shaking their heads saying, where did that come from? Thinking of when Harry Kuehl moved uh, from Leeds to Liverpool for such a small amount of money because you'd managed to... uh, get a deal with Leeds in place. Uh, would you be saying it's now or never to Harry Kane because you are at that stage in your career where your value both financially and in terms of uh, where you're at in your own development is at its peak? Uh, it's it, it would be it's now or never. However, under the circumstances of where the world markets are, uh, you know, sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for because when you get it, uh, it turns out that it ain't exactly what you thought it would be. Um, and uh, without going into a lot of detail, you brought up uh, that scenario with Harry Kuehl. Uh, um, You know, it's uh, a lot of players uh, came to Leeds and things were you know, basically unraveled very quickly after some big names got there and then subsequently left. Um, I think the big unknown here uh, is probably not Tottenham. The big unknown is uh, the Spanish league in its entirety, Uh, the sort of debts that clubs have accumulated. Um, And what you're seeing now and I'm quoting a uh, uh, financial fella that I've dealt with for years uh, who looks after uh, the assets of a lot of players. Um, and he described the situation like words to the effect that it's uh, what we're seeing is basically imagine a pot of water on your stove and you walk out uh, and boiling and, uh, and you forget about it, and all the water is evaporated by the time you come back. Well, you're basically seeing an evaporation of wealth, uh, which I don't think people are actually considering. Uh, Presuming things get back 
to where they supposedly were, uh, let's say the 1st of July, so ready for the new season, I don't think anyone knows what the financial state of play will be with any company in the world, let alone highly indebted clubs. Um, and, you know, when players at Barcelona take a 70% pay cut, uh, it speaks volumes. Um, I don't know how things are going to pan out, and I don't think anybody knows. However, uh, keep this in mind, going back to the analysis of the uh, boiling water and the pot, when the financial crisis hit in 2000, end of 2007, it lasted until around 2000, March 2009. Um, and the way the people stop the evaporation of wealth was basically, when I say people, governments, they got a whole bunch of public money, stuck it into the pot. In other words, it's called liquidity. They added that in. Uh, and from the pot boiling, because they added so much liquidity, it got to a simmer. But once again, if you have something simmering, it's still evaporating, but more slowly. So you've had this ridiculous situation of pretty much zero interest rates. Um, and people have used that. And as uh, the ex-Liverpool chief executive, Rick Perry, knows and is quoted as saying, I think in the, uh, in the championship, clubs are running budgets that are 113% of revenue. Uh, and you, you can get away with that sort of nonsense when interest rates are at zero. But when you have the liquidity disappear out of the market, and now in literally a month, people have thrown unprecedented amounts of money back into that pot which started boiling, but it's evaporated in a month. So what took three years to evaporate last time around and things to sort of get back to a, a simmering point now has evaporated in a month, where are they going to get the money to chuck in the pot again? And so like any other asset, uh, you basically, if there is a lack of it, if there's a su supply and demand situation and there's no money, interest rates go up. And, you know, people keep talking about, oh, football is a business. But it seems like behind the scenes, uh, everyone's forgotten that zero interest rates uh, from central banks and 2 or 3% interest rates on loans is not normal. It's more like 7 or 8%. So I don't know about people that have mortgages. Think about what you need to do if you're repayments per month suddenly go up 20 or 30%. If you've budgeted for whatever. So I think the world in football is a great unknown and anybody that would be foolish enough to make predictions uh, will prove to be a fool. Uh, so I, I can't, I, I, 
I don't know what will happen, but all I know is that uh, for whatever the faults of Mr. Levy are, um, he, he is generally regarded as a very prudent and possibly in, in, the old, in the old days, which is only like two months ago, as the old days were, he was too prudent, wouldn't go into debt and everything else. Well, if I was a, a person advising a player, I'd sure as hell advise him to stay with a club that's been prudently well-managed and is financially stable than jumping ship and going into the great unknown of a club that traditionally has had massive debts. It's, um, it's a very good point given that Tottenham just in, in the past month announced record profits and have managed to restructure all their debt for the stadium, which of course is, is huge, into uh, long-term low-interest rate loans. And I was talking to someone um, who monitors the scene in Spanish football very carefully uh, he, yesterday, and he was saying that the, the calculation that the Spanish clubs are working on at the moment is 5 to 7% revenue damage if they manage to finish the season behind closed doors. 25 to 30 percent if they have to null and void and you know they're just the scenarios if they get to play football again at the normal time so factor that into what you're explaining on on the debt situation that a lot of these clubs are and you you i think uh, i think it underlines what a difficult position many clubs could be in and, and the effect that that can have on the transfer market. Well, look, I, I hope, obviously, for, for my own self-interest, that things are <laughs> wonderful again. Uh, but I, I doubt it. And I think that uh, by nature, we all tend to be uh, optimistic when it comes to the financial damage. But... From what I've seen in the past, uh, when it comes to football clubs, uh, unfortunately, they are grossly irresponsible uh, on the whole uh, with how they they structure themselves. Uh, you know, and the 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 other issue is, for example, Dinamo Zagreb, that has traditionally been uh, one of the most profitable clubs in the world, if not the most profitable club. Um, uh, they they also did this thing about 70% pay cuts. Uh, the players have walked. So that, that, that club actually has no players. Um, and so the other question is, for example, uh, Dinamo, uh, as you saw with the uh, ex-Barcelona player, Olmo, uh, who got sold to, was it uh, Red Bull Leipzig for 20 million, who cost Dinamo nothing. Um, so you can get players like if a player like that, for example, was 20 million in January. Uh, now that you have from a you know, legal perspective, once a club has breached their commitment to a player, he becomes under FIFA regulations, a free player. So uh, I'm presuming that, you know, a club like Tottenham and most Premier League clubs will continue to pay their players or they'll come to some sort of arrangement so the players are still contracted. But when you have these 
wonderful talents that are floating around the place. And God knows what's going on in Brazil, uh, in Argentina and so forth. Uh, I mean, you could get far better value than a Harry Kane. I'm not suggesting Harry Kane is not a great player, but his, his income at uh, Tottenham being what it is now, um, he may very well uh, realise that it is far more than he can earn anywhere else. It, th- don't make a presumption that everything will be the same once this is over. And some clubs, and you know, I think Real Madrid could be one of those clubs, may have no choice except to uh, you know, pay players a lot less than players were used to. And not simply just for this season, because everybody presumes uh, this will be done by end of June. I sure do. Uh, but, you know, the world's a funny place. And this whole thing, we, we really, it, it's a great unknown. And uh, I'd rather, you know, be with the devil I know than, you know, jump into bed with the devil I don't know, in short. Maybe, uh, maybe Kane, these people are being a bit cute here, I wonder, because uh, since at the moment, as you say, Bernie, only a Phil would try to predict how this is going to turn out, using this uncertainty to try and get Kane a deal agreed before the full results of the crisis are known in terms of football's finances, um, meaning Kane might be one of the last so-called uh, Galacticos to get a Galactico pay deal because it was done, if you like, it was agreed before the mm. uh, full consequences were known, which, of course, would be good business on his agent's part, that's for sure. Certainly what is the case is that there's a, a marketing operation which has now gone into process because we all know in our business how very rare it is for a player like Kane captain of his country and his club uh, regarded as you know the talisman of Tottenham Hotspur for him personally to come out and give that kind of interview you know no according to sources I his agent creating a market um, off the record this was the player himself sitting in front of a camera saying yeah talking about Tottenham in the la- in the past tense I'll always love Tottenham I'll always you know, want be a Tottenham fan. It's like almost he's already somewhere else in his head. Mm. So it's 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 a very interesting scenario um, that you've described, Bernie. That you described Duncan with regards to um, that microcosm example of Kane. Another financial person I was chatting to yesterday uh, said to me that there's an expectation in the in the financial markets, and by that I mean the guys who part finance or full finance transfers through bank loans or through um, low interest, long-term loans, uh, sometimes and other times a very short term, that transfer fees themselves will reduce on average between 15 to 20, maybe as much as 25% on an average fee. Now, this doesn't necessarily apply to transfers like perhaps Kane or Neymar or Aiden Hazard, but across the board. So, Maybe it's a good thing for football that it's being pulled back into a semblance of reality. And so no more 50 million for Gilfie Sigurdsson or 
Richarlison and players who clearly aren't worth that amount of money, but cash-rich clubs are willing to pay it because it's the going rate on the market. Look, I agree with you. Um, you know, for me, very few players are, are worth the astronomical amounts that have been paid. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I, I always hope that the players can get the, the, the most money possible. But some of these figures that have been uh, grossly inflated, um, I think that the, uh, the reduction of 15, 20 or even 30% is actually optimistic. Uh, I think the reductions on average will be far greater. Uh, you will always have the really, truly exceptional player. You know, is, is Neymar one of those? Probably. But once again, I think uh, that, I mean, look, it, the one certainty is that football will recover quicker than probably any other sport because obviously there's pay TV uh, and there's the stadiums. Um, so, you know, the Bar Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, etc., all the big clubs, they're always sold out no matter what. So as soon as football resumes, it'll, that part of it will be business is back as usual. However, uh, the, the, the change in this whole dynamic, which was driving the market, uh, was basically streaming. And the question mark is that, for example, the Walt Disney Company bought uh, the Fox, uh, Rupert Murdoch's assets. Uh, and I, is it Comcast or whoever bought Sky? Now, all this stuff has been done with debt. And it's a case of, you know, how are these companies going, you know, what are these companies going to look like uh, after this crisis is over? What, it, what is their debt based on and how are they going to service it? So, you know, it, it, uh, it was said before this crisis that the, the, um, the rights, broadcast rights for the EPL had peaked. And that the next, that the deals coming up were going to be less than they previously were. I know in Australia, and as we all know, Australia is a sports mad country. Every major sport is in different phases of major financial problems. Rugby league there is basically bankrupt. Rugby union is bankrupt. Uh, and and Fox basically is looking to walk away from all of these deals that they had in place, including football, as in soccer, as as uh, it's it's known in uh, those strange places like US and and uh, Australia. But the uh, the point is that uh, and to use uh, you know football as an example in Australia, the A League was getting uh, around. I think 50 something million dollars uh, for its rights. It, the way the contract is structured, if they don't play another game by the 22nd of April, which they will not, um, Fox has the right to walk away. My information is they will be walking. And 
at best, they may come back instead of uh, the 57 million or whatever the figure is, would say 20 million. Now, that's the clubs were using that money to finance their operations. So something has to give. And that's so that that's a reality. Now the EPL is a, is a special case, and I'm sure that they're not going to take uh, you know that sort of uh, a hit, which is what sixty odd percent reduction, or possibly in Australia, they Fox may completely walk away. So you know, once again, EPL will not say have the same problem. However, do you guys seriously think, and do clubs seriously think? that broadcasters are not going to use this as an opportunity to get a better deal. Of course they are. Uh, you know, therefore, when it comes to the players' wages and the transfer fees and so forth, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the biggest unknown is what happens to those clubs uh, in, uh, in the championships that are running their budgets at 113 or 150 and, and in some cases more, uh, you know, compared to revenue. Uh, those guys could pay at times, you know, up to $10 million or 10 million pounds in a transfer, uh, quite often three and fours. That disappears. Uh, and, and that disappears like really quickly. And that disappears because of the simple fact that if you're revenue uh if your expenditure isn't even covering your revenue and now you've got a haircut in revenue by about say 20 percent uh the net result of transfer fees goes to darn near zero and here's another stat to consider last year over 60 percent of transfers were done either for free or as loans now that's before that's before this C19 problem. So extrapolate that into reality. If more than, I think it was about 65% uh, of transfers last season were done as either free transfers or loans, uh, things certainly aren't going to get better than that. That's certainly something that's been mentioned to me as, as something to expect whenever the window opens is that we will, instead of seeing full transfers, you will see loans with option to buy. Um, some of the, the prominent Scottish clubs looking to work that way. Premier League clubs at the bottom end who, can't, who don't have as organised a scouting system. Uh, and are, are now looking at a situation where they won't be able to see players being presented to them as options in, live before doing deals, are talking mm. about loan with option to buy as a as a as a solution um, to try and get through the uncertainty of this period. Bernie, have you had clubs coming to you from, for example, the Championship, and asking if you can source transfers for them as a way to get revenue in to get them? through this this period uh, uh, <laughs> from every single league uh, that that's the issue so once again supply and demand too much supply 
supply, not enough demand. And, you know, people then are going to, you know, well and truly uh, shop the market. And uh, it, it, I, look, it, it's going to be ugly. It's just a question of how ugly. But I think everyone is being way too optimistic about how ugly it'll be uh, because realistically, you're talking around uh, last year, last season, when things are wonderful and at their peak, that 30 odd percent or you know 35 percent of transfers were actually uh, proper uh, transfers of sums of money for a player. Uh, so <laughs> imagine if you halve that, and that could easily be the case, especially if you take out uh, you know the markets which were paying you know even croatian clubs will pay one or two million uh euros for a transfer fee i can assure you that no croatian club is going to be able to pay anything like that if they can pay a couple of hundred thousand so uh you know the the, the whole thing has simply you know turned into an unknown um and as I said, only a fool would uh, pre predict the outcomes, but I think it's a lot smarter to be prepared for the worst case scenario than to have any degree of optimism um, because my gut feeling uh, from being in the game and being involved in a bankrupt game, which Australia was during the 90s uh, and even early 2000s, clubs lurching from one catastrophe to another. Uh, so I've seen this on a much smaller scale uh, where, you know, uh, silly, irresponsible financial behaviour has led to clubs being defunct on a regular basis. Uh, you know, you guys in England uh, have had the good fortune where that's very rarely happened. But, um, you know, the wise old man, Mr. Rick Perry, has been warning clubs about this situation. And, uh, you know, nature has its way of sorting out the weak from the strong. And at the moment, there's far more weakness in the English game than there is strength. Uh, yes, the Premier League is always going to be strong. There's no question about that. But... You know, look look at its feeder system. Um, and then, uh, you know, someone like a Mr. Levy could sit there and go, you know what, I hope Real Madrid comes in. Uh, how long has uh, Harry Kane got on his contract there? I don't even know. Uh, with... 2024 expires his current deal. Well, I mean, look, uh, it, I, I, I think that if I if I was Mr. Levy, I'd get as much money as possible for Mr. Kane and wish him all the best uh, because he will be able to, or his people will be able to, well and truly, uh, and Mourinho would be the best in business to pick up incredible bargains because there will be a huge overhang of quality players because of clubs simply not being able to meet... Uh, the uh, the contractual obligations. So, you know, I I think the the uh, the scenario for next season could be very interesting. And uh, 
a, a smart, you know, cunning, whatever you want to call Mr. Mourinho, uh, th this could well and truly uh, turn, you know, the, the whole world upside down where the power of a club like a Manchester City or, say, Liverpool for the moment uh, is not necessarily going to last because someone who's very clever in this marketplace and picks up bargains uh, could have, have themselves a hell of a competitive team um, and uh, for a greatly reduced cost. That's, that's my prediction. You will see some very unexpected... Uh, you know, rises in power with coaches who basically uh, can get players instead of paying, you know, 20 or 30 million, they can pick them up for 10. Uh, and there are, I'm sure there are coaches out there who are the new Mourinho's and new Guardiola's and the only reason they haven't been able to rise to that level is because they have not had the resources to compete. Guess what? Now they have. By virtue of this disaster, uh, but um, you know, the, uh, the, the there is uh, a, 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 an old saying by uh, you know one of the great um, uh, English designers, um, Mr. Paul Smith. Uh, and uh, it goes to the effect of if you, you, you can find inspiration in everything and if you can't, look again. And I reckon there are smart people out there, very good coaches, very intelligent coaches that uh, are looking at this situation as an opportunity. You know, as sad as it may be, uh, it is an opportunity for smart chief executives and it is an opportunity for smart coaches. Um, and in the end, I actually do think that the game will be better off because of this. Duncan, you mentioned earlier in the, in the pod, um, Barcelona players taking a 70% wage cut, which, of course, Barca's wage bill in excess of 1 billion euros. Um, that's a huge cut. But you also have some news about Real Betis in the last few hours as well. Yeah, Betis sent a letter to their players yesterday um, outlining three scenarios for wage cuts. One would be uh, a 15% reduction of their, their yearly salary um, for the whole of the 2019-20 campaign if no games were played and, and it was uh, declared null and void, which is becoming an increasingly likely option in, in several other countries. Uh, we, so Italy, France, I think Scotland now is, is talking about going down that route. Um, second option, 2.5% reduction of yearly salary for 2019-20 if the season is resumed behind closed doors. And uh, no reduction at all if the season is resumed with supporters in the stadia. And they're one of the clubs that they're, they're doing it from a negotiating basis at present. So they're not saying to the players, you have to accept this. Um, but they are kind of intrinsically threatening to use the ERTE um, scheme that Barcelona used to uh, immediately implement a 70% reduction in salary on their monthly wages, which 
obviously the the that equates to a fifteen percent reduction if the if the season's not resumed because you miss out several months of, of wages doing that. And I think it's a very interesting scenario because because this is a government mandated scheme which is which allows clubs to uh, allows all companies to reduce salaries. It's legally quite difficult for the players to challenge. Um, they don't have to accept it, but it's because it's not um, the clubs proposing it to them off their own back, and there is a government policy allowing companies to reduce salaries. It, it, the, the feeling is that across the board in Spain, clubs are going to use this structure to reduce their costs as much as possible going into whenever football resumes again. And of course, uh, in, in England right now, Bernie, that similar scheme is, I don't know if you know, but uh, for workers who are laid off, um, is that the government will pay 80% of salary up to £2,500 a month. Imagine <laughs> your average 80 grand a week Premier League player applying for two and a half grand a month under, <laughs> under the government support system. Well, mate, I, I can tell you that uh, in Australia, it's already happened. Um, one club, uh, which actually won the league last year and was in the grand final, uh, Perth, the, the owner just stood all the players down without pay. Uh, and uh, so the players are literally on unemployment benefits. Um, obviously, they're not in the Premier League class, but nevertheless, uh, you know, they... they have, I think uh, they, they can get something like $500 a week. Uh, and considering that the average wage in Australia, I think, was around 3000 per week, um, it's still a hell of a hit, especially if you've got a mortgage, um, paying off a car or whatever. Um, so that, and Australia is obviously a, a country which, uh, you know, it's a well-off country. Uh, you certainly consider it a, a, an advanced Western nation in in the OECD and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and that has happened. You know that that literally happened last Friday. So you know, I, uh, I I still think that overall we're being overly positive. What did you guys say was Barcelona's debt? A billion or something? What, what? No, that's the wage bill is one billion euros. Oh, okay. Uh, well, look, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I, I, I've been told uh, from different people that they've got also a debt to service that's uh, in the vicinity of six to 700 million. Uh, they probably consider themselves very lucky not getting Neymar because uh, that, that would have taken about 200 or added another 200 million to the debt. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, the scenario... Uh, as I said, at the moment, I think uh, in England it's being overly optimistic uh, because uh, you know the uh, you're only it's a very once again an old saying you're only as strong as your weakest link, and the Premier League will remain strong. However, look at all the leagues below it, and that you know it's. Uh, uh, you know, clubs were used to, I mean, I can't remember who Celtic sold uh, recently to someone for, what was it, I don't know, 25 or 30 million. Musa Dembele. Yeah, they, they've had offers of uh, 
of what was it 30 35 million for their striker um and, and so forth uh that money will not be there uh the, and in the championships uh the the premier league clubs because they will know everyone knows which clubs are already struggling so they can pick the eyes out of that situation and basically go no uh, no longer 20 million it's 10 uh and that that's that's the part uh, you know that that creates a domino effect, and you know be prepared to see clubs go belly up because who's going to bail them out? I mean the taxpayers will lose their minds if the government suddenly starts bailing out uh, silly multi-millionaires or billionaires uh, that have got themselves in a mess. Uh, so you know. I don't think it's going to be as rosy as people are actually making out to be. And Real Batiste figures, if I was the players, I'd be signing on the dotted line like yesterday because that's a great deal. Compared to the Barcelona players, boy, <laughs> they're doing yeah. really good. Just to correct there, the, the, the revenue for Barcelona, they're expecting to get a billion revenue. And on their last accounts, the wage bill was 671 million euros across all their sporting teams. Um, and, and Bernie's right, they, they, they have a huge um, debt burden at Barcelona and had been trying to sell off players in the last January window and were planning to sell off players in the summer window to try and uh, restructure um, their finances and, and get, uh, get, get that wage bill better allocated to players. And, and obviously this situation causes them immense problems as Bernie's been pointing out from the start of the podcast. You mentioned Neymar yeah. briefly there. Um, obviously, France is your adopted country. What's the view in France? What's happening with regards to what people expect of the season? Will it be finished? Will it not? And, of course, our Paris Saint-Germain, effectively being a nation-owned, a state nation-owned club, are they actually bomb-proof, if you like, uh, because they have the deep pockets of uh, Qatar to fund them regardless? Look, I think at the moment they are. There's certainly, uh, you know, France, uh, to be fair, in many ways is like Germany. They've been very strict uh, on clubs uh, being liquid. Um, I'm, I'm sure, like everywhere else, that there will be... Uh, some stress in the market, but uh, uh, you know the, the the vigilance of the authorities in terms of paying their taxes and so forth. Um, that that's something which France has done very well. Germany, you know, as G Germans always do, has probably done it better than anyone else. Um, and uh, you know the rest of the markets uh, fall somewhere in between. Um, you know and. I, I tend to think that uh, there will be a, uh, a, you know, a slight shakeout, but I, I, I think that you know, the, uh, the one that could get the biggest shakeout could be Italy because the, the clubs there uh, have been uh, traditionally doing things or any which way they want. Uh, and a lot of it has been extremely irresponsible. Um, and and they, they do have a lot of quality players. Um, there was a, 
there's something else that a lot of people have missed, uh, which I think is a big deal, especially if FIFA goes through with it, and I hope they do, uh, that as of this coming season, uh, no clubs can have more than eight players on loan. And then you've had uh, some, some incredible players. I think at one point, I don't know what, what the latest figures are, Juventus had something like, I think three of them at one point were playing for Italy, yet they'd never kicked the ball for Juventus. So the player, you know, uh, clubs hoarding players, uh, that rule uh, was going to shake the market up anyway because basically, whether it's Chelsea, whoever, uh, they had to get rid of these players on loan by the time the season started. Uh, so, you know, if you look at... I, I, I can't remember offhand what Chelsea's list is, but I, I, I remember it was around 30. Uh, they could well and truly take a massive hit there because they basically have to dump the players and who's there to buy them? You know, they may have been able to sell them for a decent price uh, up to now, but, you know, once again, people will use that. Uh, and, you know, Juventus having, let's presume they've chopped it down to 50 players on loan. I mean, that, that's basically two quality teams that people can buy because, that's the way Juventus has operated. So there's going to be, you know, additional shakeouts that people aren't even aware of. And I think that that's a great rule. No more than eight players on loan. I think it's in the best interest of the game. But uh, it adds another unknown because none of us, you know, know at the moment how many players uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid or whoever, potentially good players that have, have have on loan, but I would imagine it's at least, if you look at all the top clubs in the world, it would have to be at least 150 uh, that basically come on the market and they will be on the market relatively free. And they are all potentially top players. Otherwise, these clubs wouldn't have bought them. Uh, so, you know, they're... I go back to that thing of the great unknowns that will uh, become apparent over the next two or three months, I think are going to surprise a lot of people. Um, but overall, good for the game's future, I reckon. Good for the game's future. If it's more competitive, that's for sure, Bernie. Um, Probably not so good for the game's future are uh, new proposals being made by FIFA with regards to extra competitions, UEFA as well with regards to creating extra revenue, and of course, at the same time, waging a war on the good men of the agents uh, like yourself. Um, where do you stand on this, Bernie? Because it's, it's, it's coming to a head. Uh, it's been delayed a little bit, obviously, by the uncertainty uh, caused by the pandemic. But um, there's no doubt that the FIFA and UEFA apparatchiks will be back on the case as soon as they get the opportunity. Oh, look, God, God bless them. I mean, uh, history shows that there has never been in any sport, uh, you know, two organisations that have exploited uh, human beings, which happen to be the assets of the game, uh, 
more greatly than UEFA and FIFA. I mean, uh, you know, far smarter men than me, like Jurgen Klopp and Guardiola, et cetera, have said that this is just ridiculous, the demands that are being placed on players. Um, it, it's, it's not just unfair, it's inhuman. You know, you, you can't expect a player to train and play 50-plus matches a year, year after year, with, without doing serious damage to the player. Uh, yet FIFA and UEFA are absolutely hell-bent on, you know, making as much money as possible. And it's always, you know, the nonsense about we are a football family. Um, well, if we are, then basically the people that run those families are gross abusers of the family uh, and simply for self-interest. You know, so they can run around, take whatever pot shots they want at agents, but, uh, you know, it's like the kettle calling the pot black. Um, and, and quite frankly, uh, I think agents, uh, for whatever their faults are, and there are many, um, at the end of the day, they are there to get the best deal for their players. And whereas FIFA and UEFA are there to get the best deals for themselves, pure and simple. Absolutely, totally selfish organisations that have wonderful PR machines uh, to spin a whole load of nonsense, uh, how wonderful they are. But quite frankly, if they disappeared tomorrow, uh, I don't think the, world would, the football world would miss a beat. So that's, that's my take on FIFA and UEFA. Bernie, the proposed cap from FIFA is 10% on player sales and 3% on salaries. Um, the response from the Football Agents Forum, uh, as announced by Mino Raiola, is uh, an idea that they would, um, they would move to take transfers away from FIFA and have deals struck between national federations and clubs and agents instead. Um, I, and he said, if, if there's a second system, then clubs can say, we decide our own fate, our own set of rules, our own system, and we'll not wait for FIFA. In the long run, that would be important for the fans, the players, the agents, everybody. Do you, do you see that as a, as a, as a coherent way of, of shifting power away from FIFA and having uh, uh, player sales and um, transactions done outside their auspices on an international basis? Yep. Look, I mean, it's uh, it, 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 any idea basically is better than the one that <laughs> that, uh, that FIFA and or UEFA have, uh, because as I said previously, they, they, there's only one group in the so-called football family that is only about their own personal power and wealth, and that is UEFA and FIFA. So we're clear, and there is nothing that they have ever done to demonstrate differently. I mean, like all uh, big organisations, the bigger they are, the more inefficient they are. And that, that's, that's the way things, things are in the rest of the business world. Not surprisingly, that's how it is that you think for any way. However, the, 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 the legal parameters that FIFA sets 
what they've got to comprehend is that it only takes uh, a joint effort by, say, three or four of the world's major leagues to go to, uh, uh, to, to the EU courts and the FIFA house of cards comes tumbling down. So these guys should be careful what they wish for because there's plenty of smart agents uh, that took them to town when it came to, uh, not agents, uh, lawyers, that took them to town well and truly uh, when it came to Bosman. And mm-hmm. uh, at some point in time, and usually a crisis like this leads to semi-revolutions at least, um, you know, they can't run around dictating as they have up to now uh, for the simple reason that, you know, that their whole structure is built on a monopoly that they impose and with the threat of uh, if you sue FIFA, you're automatically out. Now, as a club, that's a scary prospect, so you don't do it. But if there's a little bit of uh, selfless organisation between leagues, uh, clubs uh, by nature are full of self-interest as well. But as you know, as a few intelligent leagues, uh, if they if they go and take FIFA on. Um, and it could very well be the, the players association, that, uh, sorry, the agents association that does it. Um, I'd say the house of FIFA falls and FIFA will have to compromise because they're not dumb. They, they will compromise with the agents in some capacity, but quite frankly, uh, like it, it has been the case up to now, this nonsense about, you can't be played by this party, that party, the other party, and, you know, it's illegal to do. Nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed over the years because every time they've introduced the law, um, people that are in the game, and lawyers in particular, find a loophole. And so what you guys have been at this for, I don't know how many years, can you tell me uh, what has actually changed with the transfer system uh, in any significant way over the last 20 years? Uh, for me, nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. If, if anything, uh, the transfers have actually become more secretive uh, and uh, less transparent than they were uh, because there are ways of doing that. Um, so... For all the huff and puff from FIFA, nothing has worked so far. What, why should we think anything will work now? Uh, and people will just shrug their shoulders and go, okay, fair enough. Well, we're just going to do it a different way. Uh, and I can already tell you, I mean, I'm not going to tell you, but I could tell you that people have already prepared for the worst case scenario and how to address it. So... Well, Bernie, to answer your question, the last time the, the challenge, and you did mention the Jean-Marc Bosman case, and FIFA's response was to hold an extraordinary general meeting in Buenos Aires. Now, I actually attended that in 2001. Um, and, of course, what FIFA did was they effectively reconstructed the transfer system to, back, to go back to the way it was while paying off everyone 
who was threatening to sue them for for trying to change it. Little little uh, uh, cameo story though about what you're saying about FIFA themselves. While I was there, um, everyone was put up in the Hilton Five Star Hotel in Buenos Aires, and um, one delegate, one FIFA delegate from Europe, um, his wife had uh, damaged her hosiery, her a pair of tights, yeah. while out during the day. She <laughs> went to the FIFA accounts office and demanded the uh, whatever it was forty dollars to replace them. To which she was told, it'll have to come out of your $200 a day expenses, madam. And she said, no, that's for other expenses, not for things like hosiery. And demand that she be reimbursed $40. That's how much FIFA look after the FIFA family. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's, uh, the, I mean, you just have to go to their headquarters and look at all the birds chirping around the joint and everything else. I mean, uh, great halls of nothingness. Um expensive artworks and all the rest of it, uh, what the hell that has to do with the best interests of soccer or football or whatever is beyond me. But, uh, look, I mean, best of luck to them. Uh, I don't really care what they do, and I don't think at the end of the day anyone does. Uh, but, you know, and I'm, I'm not part of this agents association. Uh, however, everything I've seen uh, and, you know, that... Um, uh, uh, what's his name? That Hallam boy. That uh, that uh, you know. When when people take shot pot shots at uh, Rayola and what sort of an agent he is, etc. I mean, the move, career move that he has made, uh, obviously in partnership with the boy's father, who who was uh, uh, there at Leeds once upon a time. Uh, it's one of the most masterful moves that's ever been done. You know, it's the right. You know, club Dortmund is the right club for that player. Uh, far less money than other people would have paid. Uh, you know, <laughs> and when when people accuse agents, and especially of him, of making whatever sums of money he makes, I mean, look at his clients. His clients basically tell the story that this guy. Uh, does great deals and guides their careers uh, in in terrific ways. You know, so you know uh, they they want to accuse players of selfishness and him of selfishness. But I mean, putting probably what I would certainly I regard him as the world's greatest striker at the moment uh, for far less money into a club that's going to be terrific for his development. Uh, let's look at that. And how many people in the game, whether they're clubs or whether it's uh, FIFA or UEFA, actually give that sort of care towards anyone that they work with? Uh, you know, self-interest is always the order of the day. Um, and if you look closely, there are plenty of examples of, uh, of agents who actually do the right thing by the players. Yes, there are really bad agents. And, you know, what can we do about that? Uh, not a great deal. There's also bad doctors, guys, and there's bad lawyers. Uh, you know, there, there are barristers. Do you have barristers in England? I presume you do. That earn like $30,000 a day in Australia. And then you've got barristers that earn $5,000. 
uh, the ones that are earning $30,000 a day are booked out like one and a half, two years in advance. The ones earning $5,000 a day, you can get any time of day whenever you want or not. So who do you want? And that's the same thing with agents. Yes, and, and you, you, you talk about Harlan's case. That was a, a decision or partly a decision between Manchester United and Borussia Dortmund for the player. Um, as you say, he took less wages to go to Borussia Dortmund. Manchester United were briefing that uh, they, they didn't want to do the deal because Mino Raiola wanted a, a defined release clause included for the player if he was to come to Manchester United and they weren't prepared to do that kind of deal. But your your analysis would be that um, actually he was advised to go to the, the club that was better for his long-term career development. Look, I know he was. And because of, uh, I mean, it, it, the, the, the previous club that um, uh, Molde, where uh, Schalshire was, I... I know people from that club and I know people that work with him. So, uh, you know, what what the goings-on were with the player and also, once again, something that I have so often said, the greatest strength and weakness for any player un until he actually gets married or is with a permanent girlfriend are his parents. And uh, fortunately, uh, the dad was... You know the grounded, how grounded the father was, uh, similar to the way Harry Harry Kuehl's dad, I've always said, was his greatest asset. He was just a grounded, uh, smart individual uh, in terms of common sense, smart, uh, no genius, no no great qualifications, but had a lot of common sense. What was his greatest asset? Uh, and and likewise with Holland, he's he's just his dad. Uh, is is a guy who basically worked with Raiola on the on the whole thing, uh, and the, the the mark of a good agent is doing what the player wants, and you walk through the scenarios, and at the end of the day, for a quality player, and fortunately I've had a few, there are always three or four, and sometimes ten. Very good options, and and often three great options, uh, and then it's really up to the player to make that call. And you know, the, a good agent, that's what he's about. And the likes of Giovanni Branchini, they're like that. You know, the people that that I've known personally, from what I've, I don't know, uh, you know, guys like Jorge Mendes, uh, but. There is no chance in the world that they would be where they are if their clients uh, didn't rate them highly. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's not deception. It's good, solid, hard work. You know, uh, guys like Jonathan Barnett and so forth. I mean, these guys have been doing it for years. Uh, they're no dummies. And, you know, people want to paint them out to be this, that or the other. You know, some of these guys I've had runnings with, but I totally respect the work that they do and how they've done it. Uh, and, you know, it, it's a shame that uh, it, people don't look beyond uh, the public rhetoric. Uh, and actually, you know, the clients are your judge and jury. And if they're happy with what you've done, 
that's it. Everything else is irrelevant. Um, and uh, you don't stay in the game for as long as some of these guys have uh, and continue to do these incredible deals. Um, you know, if you are not looking after your clients, it's impossible. You know, it's not it's not a cons man con man's game. There are bad agents, of course there are, and probably there are far more bad agents than good ones. But you know, the, these guys at the top level dealing with the top players, it's a very competitive world out there, and uh, the player at the click of a finger, contract or no contract, can walk away from them. And they don't. So that says a lot for me anyway. Well, Erling Haaland is uh, getting many plaudits, obviously, as we have discussed for his performances at Borussia Dortmund in the short time there so far, having moved in January. Unfortunately, he's not eligible for the next award we're going to talk about because we're going to end this particular transfer window podcast with a quick fire round. And I am going to be very, very straight to the point with Duncan and Bernie. And what we're going to do is we're going to assume the season will not resume, not because we know, but because we want to pick our player of the year. So player of the year as of today, assuming no more games are played. Duncan, you first, please. Um, look, I think there's a few candidates. I think Raul Jimenez at, at Wolves has had an exceptional season and um, going to be interesting to see what happens to him in the transfer market because Wolves have been pushing to sell him and he's been pushing for a move. But with all that Bernie's explained to us, maybe the timing has, has gone bad for them. Uh, Jamie Vardy's had an exceptional season for Leicester and is the, the leading scorer in the Premier League. But I think... You have to go in a season where Liverpool have been exceptional for a Liverpool player. And I think, therefore, and it's a tough call, but I think I'd go for Sadio Mane um, in terms of him being the man who came up with solutions at key times in key moments in this campaign um, and has been the most uh, reliable or the, or the most effective of their, of their forward players this season. So I, I'll give it to Mane. Bernie? Uh, I know you can't do this, but uh, <laughs> I'm a man of doing things that people can't do. Uh, Jurgen Klopp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can vote as coach of the season. He, there's also that award. <laughs> no, he, he gets both. I mean, he, he's, he's like literally on the park with those guys. I mean, <laughs> it, it's... Uh, I just... Look, uh, so, so we're clear. I've always had doubts about him as in i i think that he he's too uh too nice a guy he's not ruthless enough on the face of it but what a great human being and uh you know if for no other reason uh to, to come out and say you know when the media was trying to pin him down on this coronavirus thing his comment uh about what the hell are you asking me for uh you know to 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 the, the way he has led that team on and off the park is incredible. And, um, you know, as I said, I, I feel like he's almost like the 12th player. He, he's, the, he's the reason that that club has, uh, you know, done what they've done this year. And, uh, you know, that, that they had the hiccup uh, with, um, with Simone and uh, Atletico, but, you know, he's not the first and last to... Uh, that Simone has outwitted with uh, absolute uh, brutal defensive tactics. Um, but 
you know, uh, after that, uh, I, I agree with Duncan that Mane is probably uh, the pick of the bunch. Uh, he's been the difference. Um, and uh, but you know, uh, pretty much any Liverpool player. What 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 an extraordinary season. Uh, and it's just uh, I feel bad for them because they couldn't finish it uh, the proper way, which they deserve. But um, you know, if there's anyone who uh, who 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 can get over this in the right spirit of things, it's Klopp and that Liverpool club. And you know, as I said, it's just uh, one of the most extraordinary things I've seen any coach do. But for me. Uh, Mane and pretty much every other Liverpool player, uh, they they get the, uh, pre, the 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 one to twelve vote for me. I think the uh, the linesman and the fourth official would agree with your uh, analysis of Jurgen Klopp as the twelfth player at Liverpool this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> astonishing a season of records for Liverpool. They've now become the first club whose manager has won Player of the Year and Coach of the Year as well. <laughs> Even more remarkable is the fact that he beat James Milner to Player of the Year, who clearly is and should have been and deserves Player of the Year in my book. Uh, James, don't worry, I'll get it sorted for you. I know you listen. Boys, uh, thank you very much for today's Football Transfer Window podcast. It's been uh, very informative and uh, great to get you back, Bernie, and get your views, experience and opinion on what's going on right now in troubled times for football. You can continue the debate with us on our social media channels. That's at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Duncan is on Twitter at Duncan Castles. And I am on Twitter at GarboSJ. As I said, we love to get your feedback. Please do um, send it to us and wait for today or anything else. Also remember, we'll be doing your questions answered later in the week. So get your questions in for that. We shall see you later this week through the transfer window. Until then, thanks for listening. 